Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Chuck Russell, a veteran genre filmmaker whose credits include the screenplay for Dreamscape and co-writing and directing A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, which led him to direct a lot more fun, inventive pictures like The Blob, The Mask, Eraser, The Scorpion King, and others. His latest feature, Paradise City, reunites Pulp Fiction co-stars John Travolta and Bruce Willis in a tale of betrayal and revenge. It's now available to rent or buy on digital in the U.S. and Canada, and it's streaming on Hulu in the U.S. Chuck picked Enter the Dragon, the film that made Bruce Lee a legend. Not that people didn't already know who Bruce Lee was. The creator of Jeet Kune Do had established himself as an action hero in a number of hits, among them Fist of Fury and The Big Boss. But Enter the Dragon minted Lee as a movie star, carrying his own version of an elaborate spy picture. John Saxon and Jim Kelly are along for the ride, and Jackie Chan is in there too, but this was Bruce Lee's trip to the big leagues, and everybody there knows it. Lee's sudden death the month before the film's release can't help but cast a tragic shadow over Enter the Dragon, but the film itself, it's glorious. This is someone else's movie. Uh, people have to understand, Bruce Lee was brand new to the West at that time. That really made him a star in the West. I had never seen anything like it. So... Uh, I really, it it struck me that this is somebody's job to work with people like this. Like, how does a person get that job? It was the first time I ever took the idea, because being from Chicago and having been born on a farm in Southern Illinois, um, you don't know a lot of Hollywood people. I didn't have any film school. So the idea of really launching myself into trying that is a little bit like saying, well, I want to be an astronaut. Um, so it's, it seemed like a, a bit of a long shot, but, um, the magic from the action in that film, uh, by a number of, of fighters that actually, they actually were fighters, um, and Bruce famously could fight, although that's controversial, um, he could, and all the hot actors at the time, like Steve McQueen and a, a number of others used to take lessons from Bruce Lee. Uh, so I was just, I was flabbergasted by that style of fighting. Uh, it was probably my introduction to, to Asian cinema in general. Uh, and I have been, I've continued to be fascinated with what I call action acting, uh, since then. And I would argue that, uh, it is a genre that gets the, the short end from critics way too often that action is character. Shakespeare believed that. It's why he had sword fights in his place. It's why the groundlings were up at the edge of the stage to see his work. Because back in the day, that that was uh, seeing a sword fight live on stage was the ultimate breathtaking action. So I will always remember a shot from Under the Dragon that is only a close-up. I've mentioned this directing Dwayne Johnson in his first role in Scorpion King's first lead. There's a shot this tight on Bruce uh, Lee. And we know he's got his foot on his opponent's neck and it is this crazy cry. I don't know what you call it. It's this famous cry he does and his face is shaking with fury and you know, he's killing the guy, but he's killing him with his heart. And sometimes as we, I mean, this sounds vicious perhaps, but it's high drama to me. Um, Sometimes we get lost in blocking and I'm often all about safety blocking um, and the technical side of a particularly sword fight or fist fight, whatever it may be. But where's the performance? Where's the actor's motivation? Where's the culmination of everything this particular villain or group of villains may have done 
where I can let my audience become every man and fight their villains and be motivated and understand the story to that point. So I, I think, therefore, in my opinion, uh, action is character. Action is an important part of performance. And the level of discipline for people we think of action actors, all the way up to someone with the skills of Tom Cruise or John Travolta, um, this is is another part of the highest form of acting to me. I got it. I got it from watching uh, Enter the Dragon. As you're saying this, it all just sort of snapping into place in my head because I've been thinking a lot about what's missing these days from uh, from action cinema, and so much of it is just because CG and stunt work have sort of cross paths now and one is contaminated the other i think to a point where unless you're really concentrating on a practical scene the expectation is you'll fix it with digital stuff in post and it takes something away from the character I, of the I, action. I absolutely agree with you and i've extensively i helped develop cgi techniques on the mask but i also think now it's overused so i think in action and interestingly enough in horror i think scares work better with practical effects i've seen elaborately beautifully designed creature stuff that actually is not that scary because you're watching it going wow what a great cgi design that is you know it, it almost takes you out of the picture where if there's visceral practical events it does something to the actor's performance they're a little cautious knowing the spring-loaded although it's a rubber hand or whatever <laughs> knowing something's about to enter frame so I'm, I'm all about um yeah enhancing practical effects with touches of cgi that's fine and there's certainly scenes conceived for CGI and the things that I'm doing and will do in the future. Um, but at the core of it, you'll, in my work at least, you'll often find a practical effect. And even the best uh, filmmakers, in my opinion, are using a combination of, of practical creature effects with CGI elements. You know, is the upper torso uh, a, a suit and the lower torso a CGI? These are things you can really do that messes with the audience's eye. Yeah. And they believe they're facing a creature that is kind of impossible, but physically dangerous in the setting. So this, this is the art. If, if we use too much CGI and blow up too many buildings and Superman flies through 10 buildings in a row, uh, it's less effective than, than if we create suspense and jeopardy within these scenes. And with Enter the Dragon, the whole, like Bruce Lee is the special effect. That's like, yeah, rewatching this time. I was convinced of that. I was convinced that you can do this much amazing shooting uh, practically and prior to becoming really a filmmaker then i saw the film again not that long ago and i realized they just used what we call a reverse load when he there's a tree he jumps up in he's actually jumping down now now my eye i know the tricks right and i saw even bruce lee they gave him a little help you know obviously the blades aren't real in most cases things like that but when i was a kid and saw that i thought this guy's really doing all this at least in a movie staging way even then i knew of course it was staged but uh, that's a pure practical effects, very physical show. There's a few tricks mixed in, I realize now. Yeah, but they work. Oh, yeah, they completely work. And the general sense of it, too. I mean, I have to be honest, my introduction to Enter the Dragon was the uh, the parody in Kentucky Fried Movie, uh, <laughs> which sure. I saw first and then realized what they were doing. And, and, you know, they're obviously, that's a very loving parody. And unfortunately even more problematic and racist than you could say Enter the Dragon is in the, sure, in the back uh, window, in the rear I view go, window. I, go, I keep circling back to the commitment in Bruce Lee's performance, which comes from his physical discipline in the martial arts. 
So there's weird uh, parallels between acting and, and martial arts. Uh, martial arts is a real thing, but the discipline and reaching to your core and coming out with the truth using your instincts, there's some similarities in acting. And, and we've been talking about improv, particularly in improv as well. So it's a fascinating combination. Yeah. And watching Bruce Lee harness it himself, right? Like uh, becoming an actor total, as you're watching commitment him. and performance, very easy for that to be corny. So what is it? What is it corny? Why? Why is Bruce Lee's performance so authentic? And, and easily, there's a very narrow window of success in Kung Fu cries and things mm -hmm. like this. It, it, it's the source, the authentic discipline that went into his training, and pure pure courage of commitment in the film performance. Very consistent. So he, you know, he, he was a revelation in that day, and and his career ended too soon. Oh yeah, um, still just like you see the development in martial arts movies just sort of stop when he dies. Like the, the, everybody was trying to do his thing, but nobody tried to develop I, it further. I, I would, I would uh, argue that Crouching Tiger. You know, there was a, a, a new, uh, new level uh, always going on in in China language films, but mm. then we began to see it in English language films with uh, Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger in yeah. an amazing way. I was going to say it picked back up again once Jackie Chan started doing things his well, Jack, way, right? Jackie once they started. Jackie brought the, con you know, Jackie's performance in some of those works is not unlike what I was trying to do with Jim Carrey in The Mask. Jackie Jackie Chan's uh, ingenious inclusion of humor in, in his fighting style was remarkable. And, and to take nothing away from the, the, the movies, you know, like Sammo Hung was making at the time and all of that. But it, Sammo also, who, who is, uh, I think, still a great martial arts choreographer, even when he's not starring, and a terrific uh, a terrific actor as well, of course. Yeah, but with Enter the Dragon, you have all of this in a storyline that the Westerners could take, right? Like, it's a Bond film. It just happens to have Bruce yes, Lee in it. It, it does, and it didn't. It doesn't have the budget of a Bond film, so it's 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 uh, its roots uh, show here and there. <laughs> sure. But I still think the film stands up over all these years just because of the amazing central performance. And I love John Saxon in that film as the American. And I got to use him in my Elm Street 3 after that. I was going to ask, because uh, <laughs> uh, while I was not old enough to see Enter the Dragon in a theater, I did see Dream Warriors uh, in a theater on its opening weekend, which I would argue was the best possible way to see that movie because oh yeah, the audience had no idea what you were going to do. Like, because, you know, the first film, everybody forgets this in retrospect, right? The first movie is not funny at all. It's grim it's it's deadly serious it's brilliant and Wes Craven had an amazing concept mm -hmm. someone pitched me what he was doing I go let's see a ghost inside of a dream I don't know if that will work but I wish him luck <laughs> and when I saw what he did it blew my mind then when I got the opportunity uh after Elm Street 2 they weren't sure they were going to continue with the series that didn't do as well as the first one mm -hmm. And I convinced them to, they liked some work I did as a producer and storyboard artist and everything I did on, on Dreamscape uh, with Dennis Quaid and Max von Sydow, which is sort of a bit of a cult film. It didn't really hit it on the big screen. I remember it fondly. Um, I got to direct Dreams in Elm Street 3. I took some things I learned there and brought what I call dark humor in balance. So the, the story has to be taken seriously, but there's character-based humor, but it's it's balanced by the sadness in that film. That film at its core is about uh, kids, uh, suicidal kids in a lockdown uh, under attack 
Freddie was the metaphor for me with for drugs and suicide in that film. So there's a sadness that balances out what people think of as Freddie's first dark comedy and Freddie's first appearance in things like a tuxedo or as a snake Freddie or really r- radically metaphysically different forms of Freddie. I did it to entertain myself to some extent. I wanted to take the series elsewhere. But um, the young actors' performances in that piece really still make it fresh today. It's a bit dated at this point in the look, but the story and the scares work great. The practical effects still work awfully well in that picture. Yeah. Um, well, I can't tell you how many actors have said in some way or another when I've interviewed them in the, over the years is like, CG is great, but you still need something to hang on to. The, the, there's a visceral herd instinct, especially in a theater, when when there's a practical effect snapping out, the actors, they're a little scared because <laughs> something really is going to happen on the set. And sometimes they don't know exactly what. And although it's always safe on my sets, big on safety, um, if it's CGI, the actors are looking at a green screen. And something there's something at the core of the performance that changes with practical effects that communicates the scares or the jeopardy to the audience. You know, really running across a real set piece with the, the the squibs lined up where their feet, you know, just behind their feet, this kind of thing, mm. uh, will always be a little bit of more of a wow than a set that's 100% CGI. And in Enter the Dragon again, you, I'm just going to keep coming back to the, to the tactility of that film and the sense that any one of those blades could be real. Any one of those maces might actually make contact. And let me tell you, the the um, on Scorpion King, which was when I finally got to do my sword action movie, mm-hmm. um, we learned early on uh, the rubber blades are just as deadly as a real a real blade because there has to be a core so they don't wobble around. Right. Right. So you've got aluminum. You've got rubber. We have some real ones that are for photo close-ups and things. I had some cobalt ones. Maybe we tried different things, but uh, if you strike somebody wrong with a, a heavy-duty a rubber sword, you can easily break their neck as well. So it's all about staging things safely. We did fire swords on that, and we actually used real fire. I enhanced it with CGI later, but I knew I needed some flicker to start with along the blades of the sword. So those are special oil, oil rig swords. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's it, the craft of sword fight, of of directing sword fights is fascinating and we're using real sword masters and real kung fu masters for stick fighting i mean i was in heaven uh, <laughs> working with internationally uh international experts in those fields so uh dwayne johnson in his first leading role michael clark duncan as his best friend and adversary kelly who is the sort of dream princess mm-hmm. uh we really got to take a trip back to a, the fantasy of those times and it feels like it's, I mean, it, it's always amazing to look back and realize that that film had more sequels than the movie that spawned it in the first place, than The Mummy. I mean, what is there, like six of them now on the direct-to-video they, track? They, Universal went for it. I mean, they, but they did, a lot the, they're more like direct-to-video pieces. Mm-hmm. So I was all about the epic scale of that project. And I, I still think there, in fact, there are talks about another big Scorpion King again, a, a big theatrical version, Aww. which I think it, I think it deserves. I mean, I remember, again, I saw that one, well, by then I was seeing stuff at press screenings, and I still remember going in kind of grumbling and thinking, why would they bother? What is the point of this? And then it's like, oh, no, it's a Conan movie. Like, it's a it's a sword yeah. and sorcery picture. No, those listen, th- those are all valid. I just, you know, for me, that was, 
I think it was my second big studio film. And we shot it all in the back lot of Universal. We shot it all in the state of California. Mm -hmm. We never went to Morocco or anything. We weren't, we weren't actually able to. So I had to make things look as if they were. Um, and I'm very, very pleased with the outcome. It's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. This week, I'm tackling National Lampoon's Vacation, Mulrats, and Waterworld, all of which have just rolled back onto the landscape in new 4K editions. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Simcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. It speaks to a charm that the films like that used to have and then didn't for a while because they were it's it's almost like a course correction between the self-seriousness of John Milius as Conan and then the was it Richard Fleischer who made Conan the Destroyer? I'm not sure he did the Three Musketeers, but he may have done the the other Conan as yeah, well. I can't believe I'm blanking on it. But but that film was the one that felt to me more like a comic book, like a like a fantasy, like a pulp adventure. It didn't take itself so seriously. And you need you need the Milius film to get to the sequel where everyone can have fun. But yep. the Scorpion King comes from a place that's just trying to have fun and, and be, I, you know, look, I, it was, it was Dwayne's uh, first feature. The producers wanted to make sure I got the, the, the wink, the people's elbow, the, some oh, of the right, wrestling right, right. things. And I thought, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to accept doing this, I'm going to have fun. If I'm bored, I know the audiences will be bored. Mm -hmm. So there again, I very careful that humor is character based. Um, having been in different situations over the years in the real world, uh, there is such a thing as gallows humor when you think you're in trouble. Sure, there is such a thing as you know, waiting behind a car as a street gang passes by and you're 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 cracking a joke when you're a kid. This kind of thing. So I think there is the, the foxhole humor. Uh, I think that's there's room for that, and I think audiences appreciate it. If 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 Scorpion King was Gladiator, that'd have been different. Uh, Gladiator is one of my my favorite films, but I knew I was doing something where the studio wanted to have the fun Dwayne was known for, and I said, "Well, it's not going to be a comedy, but it's going to be a fun adventure movie. That's for sure." Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 of the opinion that Gladiator could have used a couple more laughs. Frankly, it's uh, it, it's a perfect film. Come on. Russell, Russell Crowe's greatest moment. Yeah, with the whole unleash hell. Enjoy yourself. Like this is <laughs> you're murdering people for your country. This Listen, is your there's, thing. There's, there's room for all kinds of tone in cinema. Sure. You know, I I when in doubt, I do I do lean towards uh, some humor or wit, and you'll see that in Paradise City too. Yeah, well, we can talk about that a little bit as well. You you've I think you are the first, unless I missed one. You're the first person to put Travolta and Willis together again after their one scene of interacting in Pulp Fiction, which now they did they did um look who's talking. Ah, but they weren't, they they weren't physically together. Right. Uh so I you know, I really wasn't so intellectual about this. I'd already done a movie with Travolta. And I, I, he was the hero in that piece. And I really wanted to do a super juicy Travolta bad guy, have him play the antagonist. And his character in Paradise City is such a classic murderous con man. Uh, I guess it's a spoiler, but it's sort of clear in the trailer um, that uh, it's it's John really returning to to high style. 
uh, playing an antagonist. And he, he does have, he does an amazing job in the role. It's funny. He's one of those actors who he sort of moves in and out of focus as he ages because cinema's not, it's it's a weird thing. It's almost like an aesthetic argument. It's like movies don't know what to do with him for for months at a time or years at a time. And then someone will find the role for him that snaps him back into focus. And then he has this run. And it's been weird watching this last 10 years for him because he's kind of gone out of focus again. And I think he's finding his strength is in hissing and bad guy stuff and just overdoing it for the fun of the audience and having us like letting us in on the performance. We, we have a great relationship. He was really excited to do a film with Bruce Willis again, of course, as I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, I kept polishing the script for those two icons uh, as we did table reads and, and really brought it, brought it up to gear. So, uh, John is a terrific actor. When you think, when you talk about him going out of focus, I don't agree. Um, but what John does is he plays different kinds of characters. And honestly, most people don't. George Clooney is always smooth. You know, uh, Dwayne Johnson is always bigger than life. Fantastic Dwayne Johnson. So uh, John is in that category of real actors for me, comes from stage. Uh, and I can talk to him about a, a hero as we as he played a family man under horrible circumstances in I Am Wrath. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here he is. Uh, playing a, a, a murderous con man who will who thinks he can outfox everybody and does for most of the movie, uh, and seeing him manipulate those other characters is a real joy. Yeah, I, I don't mean it as a negative to him. I mean it's just that people seem to forget how to use him every now and then. And here, there's something in in this performance that you capture that how much fun it is to watch his eyes twinkle when he's doing horrible things. It's the broken era thing, right? <laughs> well, well said. He glitters. He has a he has this sort of engagement with his own villainy when he's playing it's these a roles. zest he has yeah. it's a it's a joie de villainry yes that, uh, with the right you know and listen he, he comes from a place a very intellectual way of looking at his script and we talked about this role quite a bit and i as john likes to do i crafted polished the scenes for him after those conversations um but i i uh, enjoy the process it's it's a true acting process. It's not just, you know, the movie star brand recreating itself. So I admire that John follows his muse, that he does different kinds of roles. Uh, he's quite brave that way, and he has the talent to pull it off. But I'm glad we have him in this true form and the kind of thriller I think he really shines in. Yeah, it's it's just fun to watch him not care. Right, like play <laughs> play someone who isn't grounded in morality. He, he is the most loving man, and and such a family man. And I even put that um, gag reel at the end just to show uh, when John goes, "I love you" to to Bruce. I don't know if you caught that. I just wanted to show some of the the fun uh, uh, Bruce had on set as well because it's one of his last films. Uh, I wanted, I wanted, I put it in the Greg reel just to kind of give an extra glimpse of their real onset relationship. Yeah. And it is, it's an uncomfortable topic, I suppose, but I kind of have to ask, I mean, how was he, how is he doing? Are you, have you spoken I, you to know, him? I'm not, I'm not a friend of the family mm-hmm. and, and I'm a great fan of Bruce's. I loved working with him, but we shot that a year ago last May. So it didn't, it didn't come out as, as quickly as independent films sometimes do. I took a lot of care. I wanted great music. We had wonderful composer come in. Um, 
but he was fine then. He had the limitations of age. Mm-hmm. He was not diagnosed. Um, I, as I do with all my actors, I made sure the running, jumping, shooting was was staged very wisely uh, and comfortable, comfortably for him. But look, he was on Maui with a bunch of his old friends. His producers are part of his crew. So uh, to be, they were out golfing. I mean, so he he had limitations from even from when I'd met him earlier in the early 2000s, I I was aware of his limitations, Hmm. but he is, he is Bruce Willis, man. He's the real thing from the time he walks on the set, uh, whatever his limitations are, uh, were, it's almost part of the courage it takes to do action movies anyway, that he, he made that, um, almost unnoticeable, uh, to us, the filmmakers, never complained and was awesome. So I was sorry to hear months later of his diagnosis. Um, and we all wish him the best. He's still out there. Maybe he will shock the hell out of all of us and return again. But um, he he has said he's retiring. It's true. Yeah, no, I mean, I certainly hope whatever it is, it's easier for him now if he is retiring for that reason. Or- you, he's surrounded by great people, a loving family. And um you know he's still he's still spouted spotted out and about in Beverly Hills, so he's not he he's not at uh, uh, a terrible point. I don't think. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Um, I'm trying to figure out if there's any way I can bring this back around to the John Saxon story that you were telling about Dream Warriors because we kind of lost the thread there. How 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 was I mean this again? This is somebody who Saxon, from my entire awareness of of film and cinema and all of that. All my life, I've known John Saxon as like the dependable B-movie hero or villain, depending, but somebody who's just like, he shows up and he makes things better. And in Enter the Dragon- A, com- a comforting character in any in any story. Yeah. And okay. in Enter the Dragon, he's he's not exactly that. Like he's he's cranky more than anything else, but that's- yeah, but he, was char- he was charismatic. I Even then, he was a true athlete as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he really fit in in the world. And maybe because I'm an American watching one of my first Asian films at all on Enter the Dragon, it was a great way into the movie for the Western audience. Yep. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just found I found him to be honorable and such a nice man to work with on Elm Street 3. Yeah. Did you get to talk to him about Dragon or was he? Yeah. I mean, he he didn't believe that. Uh, like I saw Enter the Dragon six times. So when I when I am in the theaters when I was a kid. So <laughs> it, I'm being honest when I said it was it was quite an influence. Um, he kind of didn't believe me. And then he realized I even have Enter the Dragon references in this earlier film I co-wrote, which was Dreamscape. So he said, I guess, you know, you're the real thing. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I can only imagine like just being, well, it's every, yeah. How can I put this without, I don't mean to insult Enter the Dragon, but I know that when it was produced, it was a huge struggle for Lee to get it made, to get to be the star you know, to have as much creative control as he ended up having, and then to cast it with people who either didn't get it and came on anyway, or people like Jim Kelly who were like, "I'm all in. I get it. I know what I know what to do." That's like that sort of confidence speed bump over and over and over again, and to see him come through and be as committed as he is in the movie because it is, as you said earlier, it's an amazing physical performance. But yeah, the face acting is matching. It, it, like he doesn't it's, go blank. It's not even face act. It's from the heart. So that's something I think he learned from his years of martial arts that's clear in his performance is something so unique. Um, I don't know. It's funny to wax on about this, but it 
it is an iconic action movie to this day. And modern audiences are so used to CGI sets and multi-million dollar productions, they might they might find it a bit aged in that neck of the woods. But uh, seeing it back in the day uh, and still seeing the physical performances now, it's, it's an astounding film. I didn't realize he had a lot of con- creative control in that film. Well, it was my understanding that through the it was mostly through the fight choreography, but he would he would I'm expand sure. it. Like he would he would also work on the performances through the fights and make sure everybody was sort of on point while it was happening and and have the right tone. And and I I can't remember how it was framed, but there's a story about his his work with the actors. But basically, it's not like they were they were tricking anyone and stealing time to work on their performances, but he would coax them to move the character into the to add the character to the Look, action. I'm not surprised. Um, uh, Scott Atkins, who's a great a great action actor right now, is very very hands on in all mm-hmm. his fight choreography. So you know, it's like working with a certain kind of musician. These artists, you know, you you take it into consideration when it's somebody whose fight style is that much of their perform uh, persona, I should say. Yeah. So all, all I am is a little bit a drag regarding safety, depending if somebody else is doing the choreography, I've got to, I've got to be, I've got to play along. So I know it's, it's reasonable for my whole cast. Yeah. Have there ever been moments where you felt you yourself have felt uncertain about something? Um, in uh, uh, it's a tradition uh, and Jackie Chan's kind of part of this in Asia where they tend to be a little more um, risk inclusive, shall I put? Where okay. I, I'm risk of adverse, um, but there are always ways to test the physical stunts. And now we have CGI to enhance things. But I, I think Asian Asian cinema in general. I shot in a, in a had an amazing experience shooting jungly in India and Thailand, and uh, my action star there, Vijit Yamal, who who feels his fans want him to really do it. Him and I, him and I had a couple of stand downs on the set over him actually jumping through things and under things um, that were, you know, they weren't obviously dangerous. I wouldn't allow it, but there are much easier ways to create the illusion in some cases. Mm. But so, so in my current experience, that's, that's the only time I, I really have any conflict is when there's something that has an unnecessary risk involved that I know I can make it look exactly the same in a bit safer of a way. So that answers your question. It does. And it's something like thing, you know, like with, with something like Top Gun Maverick coming out where they put all the actors in these actual training F-15s or whatever the planes were. That's a great were. idea though, I think. As long as it's safe. I'm just, well, of of I'm course. just constantly watching the Mission Impossible films and thinking, yeah, he's going to kill a stuntman. It's, it's not going to be on purpose. I, it's I just can't even happen. kid about that. It's, it's like construction work and race car driving there, no matter how many safeties we take, something can happen. And uh, I, I knock on wood, I've had the good fortune, it hasn't happened on one of my sets, but uh, I'm always aware of that. And to the extent where even on set pieces, if an actor's stage in a set piece, I'll make sure that I've been up there. And if, you know, if I can do it, they can do it for sure. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh, and I wasn't kidding. I'm, it's a genuine concern that I have now watching certain levels where that the, they're telling you, they're going to great lengths to tell you that it's all real. And it's like, okay, but does it need to be? I mean, you just you were just saying that you made sure Dwayne Johnson survived the Scorpion King with uh, with with checking the oil swords, which I think is very <laughs> responsible. Dwayne, du- I got to say, is, is, is such a courageous and graceful and giving gentleman. And I keep hearing that as, throughout his career as it continues. So he's a very special individual. 
yeah, I've been enjoying watching him sort of evolve into his final form as the most charismatic human being on the planet. And, you know, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> and he's larger than life in a room in a really good way. Yeah. I wish, you know, Bruce Lee could have had that kind of run just because there was clearly so much more for him to do. And yeah. I look, I look at the cup half full is, is, is that we've had uh, Bruce Lee got to share his charisma and his skill with international audiences all over the world. Yeah, we wish there was more, but what a what a revelation! And he changed uh, uh, action cinema for sure. My thanks to Chuck Russell, whose latest thriller Paradise City is now available on digital and on demand pretty much everywhere, and streaming on Hulu in the U.S. as well. Thanks also to Susan Engel; she knows what she did. Chuck's too old school for social media, and I respect that, but you can find Enter the Dragon on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms, and there's a 4K edition coming out next month. I'll be covering that on Shiny Things. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, the one I just mentioned. Shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>